drop. Hey there, everyone. Christian Wynn, director of Storyboard here. And we are coming at you this week with an episode we aired back in early June in the very long ago feeling early June. But uh, we wanted to bring it back to you today just because we're missing music so much. Missing live music, missing just, I don't know, that connection to three, four artists um, in the musical realm. So we brought back an Ana Lette episode, and she is an amazing performer, teacher of music, and just an all-around wonderful human. And Forrest Gerlach and I sat down with her, as I said, back in the late spring and enjoyed a great conversation and got to listen to some of her amazing work and talk about it. And that was, you know, kind of semi-early days of uh, making art in the pandemic. But we're still doing it, and we're happy to be here with you all and enjoy Anna. You can find out more information in our show notes um, and at her website, Analete, that's A-N-A-L-E-T-E dot com. And man, it's getting dark, it's getting rainy, a little snowy in Boise, but uh, we're hanging in there and Anna's music is helping us do that. So we're revisiting it this week. Enjoy and uh, we'll see you at the fest in less than a year's time. Take care. Today, my fine friend and assistant story fort man, uh, Forrest Gerlach, is here with me and Analete. We just want to say real quick, Forrest, you can chime in on this too. We've been having some meetings on the Zoom um, here that we're recording on today, and our story fort team is hanging in there, trying to stay trying to stay as connected as possible. But uh, Forrest, what have you been doing out there to stay connected? I know you got a puppy. Tell us about a little yes. something in the uh, domestic life. Of yeah. So my dad's been looking to get a puppy since like November. And then early April, he showed up and he's like, guess who I got? And he showed us a puppy, basically. His name is Plank. He's a really good little boy. I'm hoping he's not going to bark on the podcast, but we'll see. <laughs> That's all right. We can tolerate a lot these days with the, the Zoom recordings and whatnot. And Analete, I would say, and you can tell me if this is correct, Analete as a experimental indie folk artist who is yes. here to pl- play some tunes. Does that sound about right? Yep, that sounds correct. Cool. You're going to play some tunes for us today. We're also going to talk yeah. about some home shows you're doing and just life, you know, during the, you know, the pandemic and the social isolation and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so we, we'd like to hear the song first and maybe a little bit of a lead in, give us a context for it and then strum away. <laughs> so. so this first song is called Kerosene and I wrote it, I want to say it was spring 2015, early 2016. Uh, it I actually recorded it for my last EP, Psychic Translation, but then re-recorded it for the new album. So. It's kind of a re-recording. Awesome. Well, let's hear it.
That was beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Oh, no. Well, very cool, man. What a great song. And we'll get three more, including a new album release piece we'll talk about here in a bit. But uh, I don't know. I thought it'd be kind of cool to hop into, I don't know, your origin story a little bit. You know, you're a young musician. It looks like you kind of got your start according to your account, event calendar that's on your website, playing shows around 2015. Yeah. So I started writing and recording music uh, after I really didn't start songwriting until January of 2015. I had an amazing guitar instructor named Christy Green um, out at the College of Idaho and she actually passed away in January of 2015 and that's kind of what led me to start the songwriting journey just to kind of find a way to handle all that grief that I was feeling and so that winter I started songwriting. Um, and she was really the one who taught me all the right-hand finger-picking and all the stuff that I, I guess, play on guitar when I write songs. And then I just started singing, writing lyrics and singing over the guitar parts I would write. So that's kind of what got me into it initially. And then I wrote probably four or five songs and showed them to my roommate and bass player at the time, Ashton Janicek, and he said, we should start doing house shows and playing new songs. So he hopped on bass and then our other friend Gavin hopped on drums and we started doing house shows at our house in Caldwell. And yeah, so those early shows really kind of helped push me and mold me into what I'm doing today. Nice. When when did you, I don't know, kind of turn the corner. I think it says also on your website, if I remember right, like 2017, you became like full-time. Yeah. Uh, so full-time musician and teacher of music. Yeah, so I started teaching guitar lessons when I was in college as well. But after I graduated, I thought I needed to get a real job. So I started working at a newsletter company in Boise. And I worked there for about, honestly, it was about six months. And then I just really missed teaching. So I found a studio space at Old Boise Music Studios and started, uh, just put an ad up on Craigslist and uh, started getting a few students here or there, and throughout the year, I would say once a full year passed, I finally had enough to comfortably uh, do music full-time. That's great. Yeah, it's difficult to make it as an artist full-time. Um, I can attest to that still, my ripe old age too. So, But yeah, so those who aren't familiar with the, the geography or this kind of the logistics of where Boise and Caldwell sit, I mean, Caldwell is a I would call it, I guess, a suburb or just a smaller town west of here. It's it's not, it's gotten better lately. Who knows what's happening right now during, you know, what, what effects it has during this pandemic time. But uh, man, but it's a bit slower out there, certainly on the music scene, I'm sure. So how was that? You know, I know College of Idaho, where you went, is out there. But yeah, describe maybe those house shows a little bit. So I don't know. There's a part of me that really liked living out in Caldwell. It's just, uh, we lived in the historic district, so it's, you have all the big trees and it's like really quiet and obviously there's not much going on there. If we wanted to go out and to music events or anything, we had to drive out to Boise, but it really allowed us to kind of focus on music and songwriting and practicing. But those house shows were a lot of fun. Uh, we had several bands that would tour through and stop at our house and play shows and i think we even had a few bands from canada which was fun cool we would it was really nice it was a nice way to kind of meet different people and uh kind of give people who lived in caldwell a chance to experience live music yeah and the college itself out there is a pretty small population but really tight-knit um i've taught a couple classes out there over the years and yeah it's pretty great it's like just three thousand people or so maybe fewer uh, I think it's only about a thousand, actually. About a thousand. That's a little bit more. Good. When I was going there, it was about a thousand. Yeah, so everybody's when I've taught out there, it's probably it's probably kind of this way for sure. When you're there, um, just everybody seems to kind of know everybody else. You know, it's like so. I bet that kind of helped cultivate the the audience. You know, um, I, you know, you have a thousand friends. You know, in, in the university, and so that people seem to turn out and, and support each other a lot when I was there. But uh, yeah, Forrest, I know you had a couple questions you were pondering about 
you know. Yeah, I was actually kind of like wondering because I know you're talking about Caldwell being a small town. It has to be kind of nice in a way because it's such a small knit community, and so like not only are you doing these house shows, but you're doing them with other people that also love music. I was kind of interested how that might have like affected or like influenced you going through that like. I'm not saying it very well. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Autumn, what do you think about, I, I guess, the, the small, tight-knit community? Or, or what, what kind of benefits did it have, I guess, for you um, Yeah, artistic realm? So, I would say that kind of being in a small town, uh, not only did you just have more time to create because there wasn't very much to do there, but it also... I mean, when I was walking through on campus, it was everybody knows everybody. So uh, that kind of helped us be able to go, hey, we're having a show tonight. Come come over. It's only like a few blocks that way. And uh, so we just invite all of our friends. And But we also, interestingly, we would get a lot of, of the under 21 crowd, like people who we didn't even know from C of I, but who just needed shows to go to. They would find out about it. And they would come because obviously they can't get into Neural Lux. And so it was a way for the under 21 crowd in Caldwell to experience live music, which was interesting. Yeah, that continues to be kind of, I mean, yeah. it's not gotten a lot better over the last few years, but even in Boise, it's been a little bit of a, a you know, kind of a, <clears throat> a blind spot almost, if you will. It seems like um, I didn't grow up here. I, I moved here when I was in my, I guess, late 20s, so it didn't really affect me personally, but it was, uh, gosh, yeah, it seemed like that's the kind of story, like, Forrest, you can speak to this. I know one of our other assistants, Joe, um, was talking about this uh, on a podcast episode, how there just wasn't much action for the under-21 crowd. How about for you, Forrest? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, there wasn't. Uh, my dad always wanted to take me to like music shows, but a lot of them were in typically bars and stuff, and so I... I would catch a show here and there at like the knitting center. I was really lucky I would get to go. I said the knitting center, the knitting factory. (laughs) If I was really lucky, there was like one concert I got to see at like Ford Arena in Nampa. But like, it wasn't really till like recently that we started getting more music, like music venues, both for like larger artists and for smaller ones that were like, not only available for people, but also accessible. Right. And yeah, Uh, maybe I don't know. On a, I think the tree fort and like duck club and other promoters in the area, you know, um, leading up until, you know, pandemic time, you know, the, the culture um, and kind of the vibrancy and kind of help of this under 21 music scene and over 21 music scene, you know, really is, I don't know, since I've been here for almost 20 years, it's like, it's really burgeoned and it's gotten huge. I don't know. You're, you're a young musician, but how was it maybe to make that transition you know, the Boise scene from Caldwell and then also kind of, I don't know, what have you seen kind of evolve around you as a, you know, a young artist and then putting out your second album here pretty soon. But I don't know, what was, what were those things like for you? I think I always kind of considered Boise to be the musical home in a way, even when I was living out in Caldwell, Uh, I would play, like I would play it. There was this coffee shop called the bird stop in Caldwell that I would play at every once in a while. And that was a really great place to kind of, jump in and just kind of get practice playing shows. So we did some of that, but yeah, we would still drive out to Boise and uh, play like Radio Boise Tuesday at Neurolux uh, after we all turned 21 and we would do things like that. So in a way, I feel like Boise has always been the musical home um, just because there has always been more opportunities here than in Caldwell or Nampa. Yeah. Have you seen it, I mean, improve even since you've been playing? I mean, I'm sure you have. I mean, it seems like it's gotten more and more vibrant, you know? Yes. It's been amazing how much it's grown over even the past four or five years. I mean, I remember when the Olympic had just opened, and now I don't know how many shows I've been to at the Olympic or played at. So that's been really fun to see uh, their growth. And then just Treefort in general, every year it gets bigger and bigger. And that's really fun to see. It does, yeah. So how many years have you played Treefort? I've played Treefort every year since 2016. Okay, cool. Oh, wow. Yes, and you are slated to play in 2020, hopefully in September. Um, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, maybe 
pivoting off that, I mean, your experience with Treeport, then we'll get another song. But I was just curious, like, one of your, like, or two of your, like, favorite moments as both an artist and as a fan and kind of things that really just surprised you or kind of just made your heart warm, you know, kind of stuff with the festival. Let's see. I think one of the, one of my favorite moments as far as playing Treeport goes uh, was probably, I want to say it was 2018. 2017 or 2018, uh, we played the Olympic, and it was pouring down rain. And so everybody was in the Olympic, and there were probably about 300 people. Wow. And that's, to this day, that's probably the biggest crowd of people that I've played to. And it was just, I normally don't get to play to that many people in a live music setting, so that was just really fun. Yeah, if you don't know, if you've never been there, or even if you have, but yeah, the, the, the Olympics are kind of a, a small to medium-sized venue um, that doesn't normally have 300 people packed in. That might have been over fire code even, who knows. But uh, yeah, and the main stage, you know, is an outdoor outdoor stage. So yeah, the rains came and forced everybody in, indoors. So that's pretty cool. Um, any particular artists that you've seen, like, out there in the tree portal sphere, you know, that you were like, didn't know before or blown away or like like a dream show or as a musician and what you got from that yeah uh the first year that i played tree fort i got to see charles bradley which is amazing mm. but then i left early because i wanted to catch mothers at the linen building because that year she was like the one artist that i needed to see and i actually showed up so early to her set that i was right in front of the microphone so I was right in front of her mic the entire time and uh, just in the kind of the makeshift pit with all the photographers and journalists. And so that was really fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, why don't we get into a second song here and then uh, maybe it gives a little introduction of it and kind of what it's about and where it came from. Yeah. So this next song that I'm going to play is called Stay. And it's one of the earliest songs that I've written. I originally planned to have it on uh, the EP, Psychic Translation, but then I didn't really feel like it fit with the other songs, so I ended up not putting it on there and re-recorded that one as well for the new album. And so I wrote it when I was going to the call and if I remember right, I wrote it when I was like walking back to my dorm room late, late at night. That's kind of where the the lyrics kind of were inspired by just like an evening walk. So this is called Stay.
so beautiful um, gorgeous yeah really haughty i can see that that slow walk home oh, near the campus out there in caldwell and stuff that's beautiful yeah i'll let forrest chime in just a sec but i was going to ask you know you, as i mentioned at the top they kind of you're labeling yourself or someone would label you as an experimental indie folk artist um and i wonder what do you consider experimental or do you consider yourself experimental and how do you I mean, is that something that comes into the process, just trying to push boundaries in, in your own art and style of presenting a song? So I think I would say that kind of the chords that I use and it, when I'm writing songs are probably the most experimental. Uh, I tend to use a lot of open chords and a lot of jazzy chords. Mm. Um, and then uh, just even melody-wise, uh, I when I'm songwriting, I don't think I'm afraid to kind of find a melody line or something that's a little bit different uh, than what someone might choose in like over that chord. So yeah, I would say songwriting structure-wise, it's not that much different. Like a lot of my songs are kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, uh, maybe a bridge thrown in, but. Yeah, I would say just the chords and the melodies are a little bit different than, I guess, yeah. what else would do. I feel like you're singing voice as well. I mean, I think you have a, a very singular, you know, sort of uh, vocal talent. I guess it kind of has a <clears throat> smacked a little bit. Like I've read in one review, um, reminds me a little bit of Bjork back in the day for me. Um, and then this artist there mentioning who I have not heard of, but when I listened to her, uh, sounded really great, but um, you can find it. I know it's Brianna Marea, perhaps. You know her work. I actually hadn't listened to her until I read that comment in that review. And she's kind of, I think she's from Washington State, and her music is kind of, it's kind of ethereal, and she put, she has like beats underneath her music, so she has like a loop going underneath her uh, guitar and vocal parts. Or she might even play piano, I can't remember, but. Yeah, she's very talented. Cool. Um, Forrest, what do you have for us? Yeah, actually, um, the question I had is kind of tied to what we were talking about because uh, you mentioned you uh, thought up the or part of the song while you were on an evening walk, and I was uh, just kind of curious what in, like what your song creation process is sort of like in general. Is there like a consistent way you approach the creation of music? So I think... A lot of times I start with lyrics first, uh, for whatever reason that just seems to be what comes out first. Uh, and normally lyrics will come to me when sometimes when I'm driving, but sometimes I will be at a show and someone will be performing and I just, while they're performing, I just get hit with all of these lyrics while they're singing. So I'll pull out my phone and. Uh, and like write lyrics while somebody else is performing, which probably seems really rude, but if I don't write it down, then it just, it's gone and I can't remember later. I I get it. Yeah. So, and then once I have lyrics, 
they might sit there for a few months until I find a guitar part that I think is cool. Uh, so I'll just sit down with my guitar and experiment until I find something that I like. And then I take the lyrics from my phone that I haven't used yet. And I just try sets of lyrics until I find something that works with it. And if not, then I kind of just shelve the guitar part for later. Um, but if it fits and I like it and something happens, then I'll just start, I'll take the guitar part and the lyrics and just start singing over the chords. And I would say that's normally my songwriting process for the most part. Well, okay. Do you ever work in collaboration um, with any of your bandmates or friends, or is it generally you solo on this whole um, songwriting side of things? There have been a few songs where I've sent lyrics to friends and they've made some really good suggestions for alterations and I end up liking them. Uh, that actually happened with uh, one of my songs, Footsteps. I sent it to, I sent the lyrics to my friend Connor who lives out in Oregon. And he said, oh, what if you changed it? I can't remember what it was before, but he was like, what if you changed it from what our brains are hissing? And I was like, ooh, I really like that. So I changed that line. So every once in a while that happens. Uh, as far as the chords go, um, and most of the lyrics, I feel like I tend to write solo, but every once in a while we'll kind of have a band jam session and I'll come up with a cool guitar part while we're doing that and then I'll save it for later and then write a set of lyrics for it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a combination. Right on. Well, if you, um, like, we have you solo here today, of course. Um, if we're going to go to an Ana Lette show, what's it going to look like on stage most of the time? So... I do play a lot of solo sets because it just feels, I like it, it feels more intimate and uh, it's nice just to be able to pull out a new song if I want to and play it kind of off the cuff. But for Tree 4 every year I bring out a full band, or at least uh, bass and drums. So yeah, this year I'm definitely still going to pull out the uh, drums and the bassist. My I have, uh, so my bassist Ashton, he's actually in uh, Japan teaching English right now. And so he also plays saxophone. And so normally he would play bass and sax or synth and sax. Uh, but this year I have a new band, which is fun. Yeah, I thought I heard some sort of horn in one of your songs. I remember um, scrolling through all this stuff. So I was wondering too, maybe in this creative process, I know I and I'm sure Forrest can too, as you know, as writers um, here, um, the storyboard team could definitely get, you know, some great help and feedback and in workshops and stuff like that. Um, and also just, I mean, just when you get deep into the process, oftentimes, you know, you'll surprise yourself, you know, and I wondered if you have a moment of creativity that you just kind of were like, where did that come from? Or how did that work? Are you either like, I oftentimes as a writer don't know what's coming next and sometimes, you know, I it just get completely blown out of the water. I'm like, whoa, I didn't know I was thinking that. But did you have, you know, a good example or two in your own process? Yeah, there's actually uh, the new single that's coming out, uh, Why Are You Being Nice to Me? That was one where I, it's probably, I can say it's the only song that this has been the case, um, but I just hit record on my phone on voice memos and then sat down and didn't even write down I didn't have the lyrics written or anything and just started playing this uh, guitar part and singing and all the lyrics just and the whole song just came out all at once and I listened back and I was like whoa where did that come from I, I have no idea but um, yeah so every once in a while that'll happen but I would say most part it's just a lot of um, putting in the work and getting fitting together all the puzzle pieces yeah we're gonna hear that song up uh, kind of to close out the podcast in just a bit but um it, i thought it was an interesting cool title title you know um why are you being so nice to me and, and is that incorporated in the lyrics or did that get slept on afterwards uh that definitely was in the lyrics it kind of came from a time in my life where i wasn't really uh feeling trusting of the opposite sex as much as I wanted to um, be, I guess. And so uh, it just kind of came out, came from like a bunch of different uh, circumstances that I'd had in the months leading up to that song, um, I guess. So 
It definitely, it definitely came out of like personal experiences. Cool. Um, yeah, and so maybe we could pivot just a bit, just like give us a, a sense of what life is like, you know, sort of under the lockdown right now, or at least the semi-lockdown in Boise, Idaho. But um, so, yeah, how's, how does it look as a musician, as a teacher, uh, as a creator? So at first it was really rough. Uh, I teach guitar lessons. Um, that's my main source of income out of Old Boise Music Studios. And my studio there is basically a five by 10 closet. So uh, as you can imagine, there's not um, much opportunity for social distancing <laughs> in that um, small space. So I felt like I needed to uh, close up shop and transition to online. So I I want to say I've been quarantined since about March, like mid-March, around March 15th. It took me probably three weeks to get set up to be able to teach online lessons. And in the process, I lost about half of my students. So um, yeah, that like financially, that was really hard. And just kind of being home all the time. Um, at first it was really fun and it was great. Uh, it kind of felt like a vacation. But then after a while, I was like, all right, I'm ready to go back to work and I'm ready for normal life. And then obviously quarantine has put um, a damper on that, so. It has, yes, for all of us, um, most definitely. I, I read somewhere too that you had, you kind of thought that, or you think that this kind of distance and kind of the Zoom conversations and lessons have almost worked better in certain ways for your students? Yeah, yeah so uh, I guess after that initial dip, um, I want to say probably around, probably took a month, but after a month of teaching the online lessons, um, I kind of found that students actually prefer it because I can, because it's over Zoom, I can see, they're like right in front of me and I can see what they're, like how they're holding, um, like how their posture is with their guitar or how they're holding their hands uh, in a way that I wouldn't be able to see so easily in person just with the angle that we're at in my teaching studio. So, um, and they can kind of, uh, see what I'm doing better over video as well and uh, how I'm holding my hands and what I'm doing. Um, the only thing that I can't do that I would be able to do in person is play along with students. But to get around that, what I've been doing is recording the chords that I would play or the part of the duet that I would play in lessons and I just send it to them so that they can practice with it throughout the week and still get a sense of what it's like to play with another person. And they actually prefer that, I think, because they get to practice with it throughout the week. And it's not me putting them on the spot so much. Yeah, so they like having the backing tracks more, I think. Cool. Do you think that's something you'll like carry when, when the world, hopefully, sometime, you know, sooner rather than later, gets back to normal or quote unquote normal? You think you use that technique and like carry that forward into some, you know, some, some lessons that end up happening face to face, but. I think so. I've actually, since everything has gone online and digital, it's allowed me to actually uh, pick up students from all over the U.S. So I have a few students who are on the East Coast and one from New Jersey. So I'm definitely going to keep, probably when the world opens back up again, I'll kind of do an, a combination of in-person and online. Uh, depending on what works best for the student. And I'll definitely keep sending out the backing tracks because I feel like that's really useful for students. So yeah, I, I've noticed those kind of things um, in teaching fiction writing um, and some tutoring I've done that there are definitely some benefits that we've got out of all this madness, but um, things that, yeah, having, I love that out, outreach, you know, they don't have to live in Boise or near Boise for them to, you know, be in one of your classes or one of mine. And um, I'm sure that's, true for so many artists are kind of thinking like why why did i do this before almost but also i you know you've been playing these you know these shows um why don't you tell us about the i guess the online single release shows coming up but also maybe some work you've done performing wise at home so i um on june 5th for uh, my single release for why are you being nice to me i am having an online show um, 
via kind of like a private Facebook group. So I've, I've been kind of doing these little mini sets on Instagram Live and Facebook Live uh, every few weeks just to kind of perform and keep that up because it's fun and it's nice to have that outlet. Uh, but I was listening to a CD Baby podcast with, I can't remember, oh, Don Byer. And she was talking about how she creates these uh, private Facebook groups and for shows and then she puts tickets on her website and then she invites them, she sends them a ticket. And that really inspired me to do that with the single release. So you can buy tickets on my website. It's just analeta.com slash store. And you can buy a ticket and then I created specialized ticket for the event that has a link to the Facebook group in it. So when you click on it, when you get the PDF, then it will take you to the Facebook group and you join, and then you'll be able to see the concert from that private Facebook group. Right on. That's um, such a cool thing to do. Go for it, Boris. You have, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that's such a cool thing to do. That has to be nice to have like some sense of community, especially like right now and not only have it like here, but across the nation right now. Yeah, it's been fun to kind of continue these sorts of podcasts for our team and kind of keep them staying connected and whatnot. Um, it definitely has been you know, a bright spot, I feel like, in all this, uh, you know, sort of social distancing and, you know, you know, staying at home, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, we're kind of moving along pretty quickly, so I thought maybe we'd get to that third song and have a few things before that final song, and we'll be pretty good to go. So what should we know about this one? So this one is called Random Thoughts slash Eternal Hibernation, and I wrote this one. I was working at a coffee shop in... It was like just a little Starbucks kiosk in a Fred Meyer. And I would often work the closing shift by myself. And so one day it was really, really slow. And I was just waiting for customers to come order coffee. And uh, so when I was bored and when it was slow, I would take out the, they gave us like a notebook that we could write notes in. And so I would pull that out and just start writing lyrics by the register. And so uh, this one, I was like watching the coffee drip. And so there's a line in this song that goes, the coffee drips in time with all the nightlife. And so that's, I kind of wrote that line first. And then throughout that winter, I think it was, it was uh, the winter that Snowpocalypse happened. I wrote, that was 2016, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote the rest of the uh, lyrics like throughout the, that winter and kind of pieced it all together and then originally uh, that year at Tree 4 I just played the first half and someone at the show said you should write another part to it and I kind of I knew that I wanted to call the album Eternal Hibernation but I didn't have a song called Eternal Hibernation yet so I wrote lyrics around that and kind of created a second half of the song so it was kind of like a long process but uh yeah it kind of came out of that winter and working nights at a coffee shop
Awesome, Anna. It's a great, <clears throat> great tune for sure. And this is kind of this uh, hauntingness, or kind of there's a really pleasant yet kind of uneasy feeling I guess I get with all your music because it's kind of like beautifully, you know, just sort of like we talked about with that experimental kind of twist to it, I guess. So wonderful stuff. Um, it is cool to hear about you know, and imagining you, I guess, writing down these lyrics at this coffee shop at this Fred Meyer in the middle of the night or during the snowpocalypse, or I don't know if it was the middle of the night, but uh, um, yeah, that's pretty great. Um, so thank you for playing that. Uh, and I was going to ask, um, there's a couple questions Forrest, I don't even know if you do. Are you a musician at all? Because I am not, per se. No, so, I, I like music, but me too. Yeah, I can play <laughs> kazoo. That's about it. I can I can play the kazoo. Um, so yeah, and as a teacher, um, if I were, if we're walking into your studio, it's like I want to learn how to play the guitar. Maybe, what would you tell us? I'm just you know, if I to start us out. So normally, I use a method book to teach out of, but then I kind of go above and beyond. So normally I start students out with kind of a basic warm-up that works on proper left and right hand positioning that you don't really need a lesson book for. And it kind of builds up finger strength and everything that you need to switch chords and do all of that fun stuff. And then I also, I'm a big believer in teaching uh, standard notation. so. There's kind of guitar tab, which shows you where to put your fingers on the guitar, but it doesn't really give you what the note is called or what rhythm you're playing. So standard notation uh, kind of gives you the note name, how long to hold that note for, and it's universal, so any musician can read it. So I teach all of my students how to read standard notation. That way, if they want to pick up a piano book or they want to pick up something that's written for saxophone, they can still be able to play it on guitar. Uh, and then, yeah, I have some students, they uh, they come in every dip, every week and they come with a different pop song and they, it's kind of more me workshopping with them on the whole like singing and playing guitar and the performance side of it. Um, but I would say for the first year, at least, it's a lot of just going through the lesson book and learning each string and then learning basic chords and scales and things like that. Cool. I'm sure people get pretty frustrated at first, too. I feel like I would because you, know, you want to be good. And then um, you give them sort of like psychological advice, too, you know, or give them kind oh, yeah. of that emotional yeah. advice. A lot of it is... I think I learned the most um, about how to efficiently practice and how to like make small manageable goals and how to set those for yourself. Um, when I was taking lessons from Christy Green out at the College of Idaho, and so a lot of I guess my teaching methods kind of come from how she taught me. She was extremely patient and would work with me on how to efficiently practice when you don't have time to practice and things like that and so I carry a lot of that forward when I teach now um, and yeah so a lot of times with my students if they say I've been I've been at work all week I haven't had a ton of time to practice we talk about okay how do we make the most out of the 10-15 minutes we do have so that you can still like work towards your goals um, instead of not practicing at all because you don't have an hour to practice Cool. Well, we're getting a little short on time. I have one more question, but I'll save it. Get Forrest at the table right now or to bring whatever you want to kind of close out the question um, and answer period here with us. We'll move on to that final song and kind of lead into that. But Forrest. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about like the role of the role of encouragement, both like in teaching and then also like in being an artist because sometimes it does feel like insurmountable to like create i guess i i guess my question is to like anybody that wants to go out there and uh make music or learn an instrument like uh, what 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 would be the best advice you have for just starting on that 
in helping to create? I would say if, I mean, first of all, you're never too old or too young to learn an instrument. Uh, I, one of my best students in the past few years, he is probably in his 60s and he uh, he is learning jazz right now and I'm working with him. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so we're going through the real book and he's learning how to improvise and he just wanted to learn how to do it and he puts in the time and it's just like a fun extracurricular activity for him outside of work. So yeah, age really is irrelevant. I feel like when it comes to learning, a lot of people think, oh, because I didn't take lessons as a kid, I missed out. Uh, but that's not true at all. Um, a lot of times my adult students can be the most motivated and uh, they put in the work. So um, I'd also say finding a teacher really helps. I know a lot of people start out just being self-taught and they use YouTube, but the problem with that is that there's very little accountability and a lot of times we're our own uh, worst enemies when it comes to motivation um, and it's easy to I don't know let Netflix continue scrolling by instead of stopping and uh, putting in the time to learn the instrument and a lot of times with YouTube there's so much content out there that you don't know the order in which to learn it so having an instructor that has gone through the learning process and knows kind of how to fix um, kind of your pain points in your playing is really, really valuable and can really help keep you motivated and see improvement. Yeah, and um, if folks listening out there from around the globe, um, they want to take a lesson from you, how do they do that these days on a let so, day? Huh? I have, a, it's just on my website. If you go to onaletta.com, there's a guitar lesson uh, tab, and you can just click on that, and there's information um, on kind of online Zoom lessons and uh, testimonials from students' videos and different things like that. Cool. Yeah, and that's L-E-T-E. A-N-A-L-E-T-E.com. Perfect. Cool. So maybe my final question, and we'll get you a little lead in on that. Uh, um, why are you being so nice to me track? But um, if you could, you can answer this quickly. Just if you could tour with any musician or band as like your dream, you know, sort of artist to work with and around and travel with, who would that be? Might not just have one too. I don't know, but one that comes to mind. I think I think the two artists, or maybe the three artists that I think would be really fun to tour with right now, uh, I think Shaky Graves would be awesome. I saw him this last last year, and he's an amazing performer. And then the other two, I would say uh, Jessica Pratt. She's a singer-songwriter out of L.A., I believe. She's extremely talented. And then... I love War Paint, so if I could open it for them, that would be amazing. Cool. Well, hopefully sometime soon you'll be back to touring and moving around, you know, moving around with this music and not just doing it in the Zoom zone and online and whatnot. Um, so right now, why don't you give us a lead into you've already kind of gone over the listening party and kind of how to get there, but kind of this album that's going to be coming out, including this song, you know, Why Are You Being So Nice to Me?, um, Tell us about the album, when people can pick it up and how, because you've got this track coming up, but you haven't released the whole album yet, right? Uh, so actually, I have released the whole album. Uh, I was originally planning on releasing it at Treeport, so I just released it online. and then, But I haven't released the full thing on Spotify or the streaming services, so if you want the whole album, you can go to my Bandcamp, which is just onalete.bandcamp.com. And you can order a physical version of the CD there, and it comes with the digital download as well. And right now, when you order um, any kind of merch from Bandcamp, I will send you a, a free ticket to the single release show on June 5th as well. Cool. Yeah, looking at the merch, I saw 
a couple of, you know, you've got a, a tank top, you've got your, you know, sort of um, music stuff. But I thought it was cool that the lyric book, basically it's like a, a book of poetry um, with some illustrations and your lyrics in there was really cool too. So and it was a good deal, $5, right? So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's cool. So support our artists, everybody out there. And we're just going to actually patch in the album track to this, uh, this song, um, Why Are You Being So Nice to Me? But why don't you give us a little lead into that, and it's going to kind of carry us to the end of the podcast after, after we listen to it, after we have it in there for the listener to you know take in. So Anna, what, what should we know about this one? You told us a little bit about the mood you were in. Yeah, so this one... Oh, it's probably the rawest song on the album. Uh, I actually worked with a mixing and mastering engineer from, he lives in South Korea, and he found me on Reddit and said, I really want to mix and master your album. Can it, Will you send me the album and let me do that? And so uh, I checked out his work, his website, and reviews were great. So I sent it over to him, and he got to that song, and He's like, wow, this is really amazing. So uh, he, it, unlike the other songs on the album, it's a little bit more uh, stripped down and definitely has more of a acoustic feel. Uh, on that track, I play uh, classical on it as well as electric. So we kind of combined uh, both of those guitar parts and meshed them together. Well, cool. We'll hear that in just a second here. Um, and once again, I guess, thanks so much, Anna and Forrest. And uh, we'll just let that song carry us to the end. And we, um, we'll have a little bit of information on on there after the song, but pretty much just wraps up our, our podcast. So thanks again. And um, I guess June 5th is that show, right? Yes. Are you gonna, yeah, we're, we're looking at you right now on Zoom. Is this going to be the setting for the show? You're kind of in a studio area, maybe a garage or something. Yeah. So uh, I've been working out. Or I've been working from my garage. So that's where I do all of my uh, live performances and all of my lessons and everything like that. Cool. All right. Well, check that out. And uh, we'll have some information in the show notes on all the goodness surrounding Analette and her music. Um, so thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah.
Okay, then that's our episode. I want to say thanks so very much to Anna once again for coming on and being awesome. I want to say thanks to Forrest for always being a great supporter of the arts, a wise young man, and a great writer himself, by the way. Uh, we want to thank Eavesdrop Studios, E-A-S-E-D-R-O-P.com is where you can find this podcast along with many others. You can also find this podcast on all the major platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And uh, yeah, we want to say thanks just to Treefort Music Fest, um, the management, and our fine friends at all the forts. I want to say thanks to you all, and one day soon, as I mentioned, we shall see you at the fest. Take care out there. Tomorrow, but tomorrow never came.